1: Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch. Means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. I am Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045. 737-1045. Jimmy Harper, behind the glass, my good buddy, spinning the dials radio style for me. As I say every night, I'm blessed beyond measure. I hope you recognize that you are as well. If that just made your ears perk up. Or if you have more questions, hit me up at jmartzone on Twitter. My DMs are wide open. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Coming up, final segment, my pal, Rhett Bryan, executive producer of Titans Radio, will join me. We want to talk a little bit about The Office as our Pop 6 series continues. And we've been overwhelmed, really, with the response and how many of you have checked this out. And tomorrow, our third episode, we're going to record that. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Congratulations to Lipscomb as they are in the NIT final, winning last night over Wichita State 71-64. to 64. They'll play Texas, which means this is the final episode of the Big Six this week, but you'll have the Pop Six and you'll hear me tomorrow night live from Topgolf Nashville as we're there for the just awesome midday Masters event that Jonathan Hutton has put together for Team Hutton 104.5. Can't wait to get out there. I'll be on stage doing some stuff there uh, as well as part of what's going to be a very unique broadcast after the NIT final tomorrow night. But I want to talk about something. There's nothing that's like pressing to me locally. So I want to talk about something in detail that it's just a sports take that I feel very, very confident in. And I tweeted out yesterday at J-Mart Zone about the AAF, which closed up shop because they could not get any support from the NFLPA. I tweeted out that I wasn't rooting against it, but the reason that I really had no interest in watching it and it's the same reason I don't have any interest in the XFL next year, is because I don't think the model is ever going to be particularly successful. And that tweet yesterday was in response to my good friend and colleague, Alex Marvez, who I've had on The Zone in the past, and certainly on Fox Sports Radio, longtime NFL writer and expert, uh, and host on SiriusXM NFL Radio as well. And he replied to me, and, and he said that he thought I was wrong in the idea that spring football couldn't work, that it absolutely can, but that it seems to cost a lot of money to run. And my initial thought when seeing that response was, uh, right, it costs a lot of money, that's why it doesn't seem viable to me. What it costs to start up a league with any shot of mattering, in this case, seems crucially problematic. I want you to think of it this way. If I had the opportunity to open up a Chick-fil-A franchise, if you did, like a store, a franchise store, if you did, if any of us did, we know without question we would make money. From day one, we recognized that very quickly we would make bank because that is less food and more heroin in terms of how good it is. When is the last time you walked into a Chick-fil-A and didn't see a ridiculous line or have to dodge like 50 cars, either entering, exiting, or just hanging out in those lines? There are sure bets in this world, and then there are dumb bets. And what Marvez told me about the AAF or the possibility of a spring football league that could work reminded me of a totally different analogy. And you're going to need to bear with me here, but that analogy, and it's a much more extreme one. I get this. I'm not making a direct comparison. You'll understand. The analogy is socialism, socialism fails. Every single time it's ever been tried, it results in a whole lot of bad stuff, power centralized in very few hands, often just one person's hands. There's authoritarianism and there's poverty and there's so many other nasty things. But those that are proponents of it, those that, that believe that it can work, its proponents all say exactly the same thing and they still say it to this day. This is the argument that is made every single time. What these people will say, is that the reason that socialism has never worked before isn't because it's flawed or inherently misguided. But instead, the reason it's never worked before is it's never been done right. If only the concepts were applied correctly, they think, and they say, it would work like gangbusters. There'd be this giant utopia out here. People would be singing kumbaya. They'd sit around belting out melodies of the age of Aquarius like this is the end of the 40-year-old virgin or something. But the problem with socialism is it doesn't work because of a myriad of reasons I'm not going to get into because this isn't the forum for that debate, but it always results in misery and people just losing every bit of money they have and standing in lines for bread. And those are the best possible results. And so, yes, like I said, that's an extreme example, but that's what I've started thinking about when I was thinking about the original XFL from the turn of the century, the AAF and yes, next year's XFL in broad strokes. That's what it reminds me of because The same argument here. If only it was done right, it would work. Folks, I'm here to tell you something. No, it won't. Because as much as we love football, we love good football. And by the time the NFL postseason finishes, we are just a few weeks away from March Madness, from the start of Major League Baseball, from the stretch run of the NBA season, from the start of the NHL playoffs. And honestly minor league football just doesn't cut it. So what name would move that needle? And I think that the, I think that that's a futile question. I think it's a ridiculous question because this whole, if Tim Tebow and Johnny Manziel and this guy and that guy played, that would still just be a novelty that would wear off in short order. Manziel was any AAF last week for it to work. The football across the board would need to be two things that it generally has not been in any of these kind of leagues. Watchable or entertaining. It's just not. Because here is your problem in starting up a league in an existing sport that already has a pro and a college rank behind it. None of this feels like it matters. It feels like some rinky-dink exhibition where the champion... I mean, who cares who the champion is? Who cares who's winning these games? You can't make me care. There is so much sports... There are so many escapes out there available. Why exactly am I going to choose mediocre football? So here is what Alex tweeted me. And although we disagree on this, I want it known. I love that guy to death. He's incredibly sharp, and I'm not going after him here. I'm just using this comment as context for my own thesis. Here it is. Quote, I don't think it was lack of interest that did the men, and I think spring football is viable. The fact that AAF had good TV clearance was positive, too but it's very expensive to start up, and I'm told by people close to the situation the costs were significantly higher than projected. Unquote. That was Alex Marvez's reply to me. All of that sounds believable, particularly the part about it being expensive, but my issue with that argument is how exactly is that a surprise? Costs were significantly higher than projected? Of course they were. You're not opening a dry cleaner. You're opening a football league. Vince McMahon just sold off some of his A-line, top-line WWE stock. And though he still got around 40% of the company, and he's not planning on stepping down from ownership, he needed $250-plus fifty plus million to pour into the XFL. So let me be frank about this. Spring football isn't interesting. I mean, folks, we love football, but how many of you were even excited to watch the Arizona Cardinals last season? Or the New York Giants? Or the Jacksonville Jaguars. Those are NFL teams. So we know what? Two or three guys on some of these AAF rosters? Well, I guess I should call them former AAF rosters. And somehow that is viable? I care ten times more about observations and analysis from college spring practice than I do anything AAF, XFL, arena, or anything else. because. And sometimes I deal with this reality that sports is really futile, that it never ends, that championships or wins are are pretty arbitrary overall because there's always going to be another game and another champion and things are going to change. I won my fantasy football league two years ago. I've got a really swanky trophy. This past year, dealt with injuries, drafted Kareem Hunt, got killed. That trophy that's sitting on my bookcase at home right now, I've got to hand that over to the new champion and then move on. But the thing about sports that makes it work and why I care, why I love it, is because living vicariously through the athletes or these teams and having hope, having true joy in triumph, disappointment in defeat, and being able to share that with a group of people that feel the same way make that the perfect entertainment escape. But I just can't get excited about a new league when there's so much else that's already established. And I really feel for the AAF in this regard because it's like being Crackle TV and coming about years after Netflix already started winning Emmys and trying to make people care about Sports Jeopardy. Even today, Amazon Prime Video is still really trying to get a foothold with its original stuff. And that's even after Marvelous Ms. Maisel and Jack Ryan and you know all of these other shows. Mozart in the Jungle. Amazon Prime Video stuff is nowhere close to even Hulu. And Hulu is still really trying to find its niche. It found something with a handmaid's tale, critically, but it hasn't had that like hit that has drawn everybody to the service to watch it. Netflix is, to- is totally different in that regard. So let's say the NFL is Netflix and college football is Hulu, or if you want to go like HBO or AMC or FX or whatever. What exactly then is the AAF or the XFL? It's a network without anything to hang its hat on that did lure some veterans, some smart football people, and then pushed as hard as it could to try and matter. I'm going to give you another example. There's a show on CBS that used to air called The Good Wife, starring uh, Juliana Margulies and Josh Charles. It was a great show. It was never like a ratings juggernaut, but even though it had one of the worst series finales I've ever seen, I enjoyed that show pretty much from start to finish. It accomplished what it was trying to accomplish exceedingly well. And so there was a spinoff sequel series that has now aired for a couple of years. Have you ever heard of it before? Probably not. That show's called The Good Fight. You watch The Good Wife on CBS. The reason you've never heard of The Good Fight is because it's on something called CBS All Access, which is a premium plan that you have to pay 10 bucks to stream. That's the problem here. I remember when I first started doing podcasts, long before I was blessed with a job like this behind an actual microphone, when I was doing my own pop culture podcast with friends, I was told by somebody in media to follow the model of this group of guys called the Young Turks. These guys were posting podcasts and YouTube videos for like half a decade before gaining any traction whatsoever. And so, just by sheer attrition and longevity, and all of that, and just kind of just continuing to put out content. Finally, somebody notices. And then a whole lot of people started listening to their politics and their social opinions, and they got huge. And then they now have their own network, the Young Turks Network, where there are a bunch of other people that are trying to get through podcasting in the same way. The difference between that and something like the AAF, though, is hundreds of millions of dollars of upfront investment. Vince McMahon is funding the XFL. And as I said off the top, I am not rooting against this working. I would love to be wrong on this. I love the idea of people in this world having more places to work, more choices, and more opportunities to try and fulfill their dreams. But internally, I have never felt more right about a sports take than this one. Spring football is not going to work in this capacity because, and this is the crux of it, what is needed to survive and sustain such a thing is going to crush anybody that tries it. That weight is going to bear down on these people, and they are going to fold just like the AAF did before they can breathe long enough to find a way to stay alive. And when you add to that no NFL Players Association support from the union, The NFL doesn't care about those leagues, so you're not getting any help from Roger Goodell. It all sounds as good as dead. It might be a laudable idea, and in theory, maybe the motivations are pure, but it's also a really bad idea because fundamentally, it just is never going to work. Coming up next, somebody that deserves every penny of what he's asking for from the Seattle Seahawks. This is The Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone.
0: Dave McGinnis talks Titans with you. Presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Catch Coach Mack exclusively on 104.5 The Zone.
1: Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 Zone. A little Dr. Dre for you on a Wednesday. 615-737-1045 to join me. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Jimmy Harper, my producer tonight. A few people tweeting me about my take on the AAF in that first segment saying, Will tweets me, the AAF is the quintessential definition of oversaturation of the market. I tend to agree with that. It wouldn't be oversaturation if everything were the same. If we were in a vacuum and the AAF was very close to the NFL, that would be one thing. But the football is nowhere near what the NFL's football is. The names, maybe you could turn them into stars, but how long it would take to make them stars to me is not ever going to match how much money you'd have to put into it to allow for the time for that to happen. Randy says, how do you feel about the NBA G League? NBA G League is a little different because it's an official minor league system that's now about to offer, I think, $125,000 contracts to people that don't want to go to college but can't immediately go into the NBA because of the current rule. That rule will be done away with. We are going to go away from this one-and-done, and and you're going to be able to either go straight from high school or at least I believe you either go to high school and if you go to college, you need to stay there for three years. I'm tired of the mercenaries and, and that idea kind of permeating college basketball. And then finally... The AAF did a really crappy job at promoting their brand. It started way too early as well. That's Jimmy. AAF got a one-year jump on the XFL. As soon as the AAF folded, which I you can remember, I predicted that multiple times on this program over the past couple of months while I mocked the idea that CBS was doing power rankings for AAF teams, saying, why are we doing this? But the truth of the matter was, CBS, Turner, who now have a bunch of programming spots that they have to fill starting this weekend because there is no football game for them to put on because the AAF has closed down operations. Of course they had writers writing about the AAF and doing power rankings for the AAF. They had a stake in the game. So it made all the sense in the world from that perspective. So we'll see if the XFL survives, but I'll be saying this exact same thing in a year. You can go ahead and bet on that. I don't think a spring football professional-ish league is going to work. And I do think that there is something to be said for that oversaturation argument. You can tweet me your thoughts at jmartzone. All right, so Pro Football Talk has said that Russell Wilson's not going to hold out. He'll be there for every workout, meeting, and practice, despite an April 15th deadline that he has given to the Seattle Seahawks to restructure and get him a new deal. This is the final year of a four-year, $87.6 million deal that he signed back in July, four years ago in 2015. And he is right now the 12th highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. They could franchise tag him over the next three seasons. And his 2020 salary would then be $30 million under that tag. He's a Super Bowl champion. He lost one, he won one. Lost to the Patriots because of Marshawn Lynch not getting the football late. Crushed my Denver Broncos. I don't really want to talk about that. He's thrown 196 touchdowns in 112 games as Seattle starter and has never missed a start since he entered the league in 2012. 75-36-1 and is his record. Never missed a game. Not one. At his size, and that was a knock on him at one point, that's remarkable. It shows his escapability and his athleticism. The fact he can get the ball out of his hand, it also shows his toughness. And I think you can make the argument that guys like, in particular, Russell Wilson and Drew Brees formed the blueprint that started getting GMs and executives in this league to really pay attention to smaller guys like a Baker Mayfield and possible number one pick this year, Kyler Murray, same way. And Russell Wilson's been classy. He's won the right way. He's never been in trouble. He is the unquestioned face of that franchise. You remember that Beats commercial that aired? It was right around the time, right after San Francisco's in the Super Bowl. I think it was the next year. And it featured Colin Kaepernick and Russell Wilson both preparing for games, like getting off buses, wearing Beats headsets, all that stuff, as if they were kind of the same guy. It was the Aloe Black song, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, that was playing in the background. The NFL thought, as did Beats, and they weren't wrong, that these two guys were about to become megastars. And like I said, they were right for differing reasons. I mean, Kaepernick, his name is different now than it was, but at the at that point in time, it made all the sense in the world to back both of those guys. But Wilson was definitely a sure bet, and that's going back to that previous segment I just had on the AAF when I was saying that Chick-fil-A is a sure bet if you want to make money, open a Chick-fil-A franchise. But when you think of NFL winner, like if you were to look it up in the dictionary and there would be a picture next to it, he would be near the top of that list outside of like your Tom Brady. But Wilson has accomplished so much without ever really having a ton around him offensively. I mean, Marshawn, he's had Marshawn and he's had, look, Doug Baldwin is underrated and he's good and they've had a lot of talented guys through there, but they haven't had like the Antonio Browns, the AJ Greens, the Julio Joneses, the Rob Gronkowskis, even the Travis Kelseys, the Tyreek Hill. I'm just going to keep mentioning Kansas City Chiefs until I run out of space. The Jarvis Landrys, all of those kind of guys. The Odell Beckham Juniors, they've never really had those guys for Russell Wilson to rely on. But even without that, the Seahawks, when they had to make a decision before this past season as to what kind of football team they were going to be and what their identity was going to be, they bet on Russell Wilson and they let Richard Sherman go, and they let Michael Bennett go, and they let others on that defense go that were grumbling to Seth Wickersham of ESPN.com in an article from about a year and a half ago that Russell Wilson was getting all this special treatment, and it was the defense that was winning games while Russ was throwing for 90 yards. And without those guys on the field this year, all Russell Wilson did was win. He took the Seattle Seahawks to the playoffs, and I maintain that they would have beaten the Cowboys in Dallas – Had the game plan not been trash. Seattle, if you remember, inexplicably out here running the ball on first and second down over and over again, series after series after series, leaving a third and long, which we know this is an obvious passing down. And then saying, all right, Russ, go get me third and 14 or go get me third and eight and third and nine all all day long. And he still came pretty close to pulling it off. But Russell Wilson's athletic. He's accurate. He's the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. It's pretty much him and Aaron Rodgers, but generally it's Russell Wilson. If you watch his deep ball, it's a thing of beauty. And so now he wants to get that contract that makes him the highest paid player in the game. And guess what? He's going to get it. Colin Cowherd said this morning something pretty interesting. He said that similarly to how Tom Brady's attitude shifted after spending more and more time with Giselle, Brady's opinion of his own value changed and grew as she probably told him how good he was and how much value he had. Colin is arguing that the same is true with Russell Wilson and Sierra. I think that's pretty abstract, but I get pretty abstract from time to time, so that's pretty interesting. The Seahawks know the same thing that Russell Wilson knows. They know he's worth every penny he asks for and then some. If my NFL team offered three first-round draft picks for Russell Wilson, I would jump for joy. He is that good. He's a culture changer. He's a winner, a flat-out winner. And he's the guy you build around. Not to mention, he's great in the community. Much of the Seahawks' defense negativity toward Wilson that came out in that Wickersham article I was talking about a minute ago, that felt like sour grapes, and it felt like envy. It felt like jealousy. That Russell Wilson was getting all of the positive headlines. That Pete Carroll loved him. That the executives in Seattle loved him. And they wanted the credit. They wanted all of those kinds of things. It was the opposite of the old, I think it was the Teddy Roosevelt quote, that it's amazing what you can do when it doesn't matter who gets the credit. But why wouldn't the franchise back Russell Wilson and love Russell Wilson? All he's ever done is busted his rear end, never missed a start, win games, looks a lot of times like he's drawing up stuff in the dirt whenever trouble arises on the field, and he's just a flat-out playmaker. And then past that, he seems to be a model human being who doesn't make mistakes in his personal life. So they needed to get over it. The Seahawks are going to pay him because unfortunately for them from a financial standpoint only, and this is the truth, in any company, the most costly position to be in for the payer is when you recognize the value of someone who also recognizes his or her own value. Because those individuals, ladies and gentlemen, cannot be lowballed. Oh, you want me? You know I'm good. You think I'm good. You think that I'm good for your company. You're willing to displace other people in order to put me into a spot because you think that I'm going to give you a better chance to win or whatever your industry is. You're willing to make changes to accommodate me all right, well, if you think that I'm that good, that important to your future and to your success, then my pay has got to be commensurate with that. More for respect than anything else, or if that's the, uh, if that's the only reason, then that's enough. Russell Wilson knows his value. So do the Seahawks. They, have no, they really don't have that much leverage here because Wilson can bet on himself. He's proven enough to himself and to everyone else that many teams are going to crawl over broken glass to get him if the Seahawks were to make a mistake. Seahawks ain't going to make a mistake. He's going to get every penny that he asks for. He'll be the highest-paid player. He's the 12th highest-paid quarterback, which is unbelievable, and he wants this deal to keep him near the top or at the top for a much longer length of time. When he first renegotiated, he was number 2 in the league behind Aaron Rodgers. This time, he wants to be number one. And he wants that to have some staying power, and he deserves it. Russell Wilson is a unicorn in the way that he approaches the game and in how he can change your franchise. Every franchise would be lucky if they could have Russell Wilson. The Seahawks already know they're lucky. That means Russell Wilson's about to get paid.
0: We'll be right back. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. You'll have room under the cap. So we're giving you free money every weekday on the $1,000 payoff. You're shot at one grand 4 times every weekday at 8 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m., and 5 p.m. All you have to do is listen for the national keyword, then text it to 95819 to win. Don't text and drive, but do text to win. Rules and details at 104.5TheZone.com. The $1,000 payoff on 104.5 The Zone.
1: Welcome back, Big Six 1045 the Zone with Tears for Fears for you Hopefully it's not a pale shelter out in that traffic. I'm Jason Martin, I'm on Twitter at JmartZone. Bless beyond measure. Hope you recognize that you are as well. Jimmy Harper behind him. The- Last Spin of the dials Radio style for me this evening. 615-737-1045. Had a few people drop off because I was just on a roll and didn't go to phones. My apologies for that. You can tweet me at jmartzone, those thoughts. We're brought to you by Renner's Warehouse. Dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate. Renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. Got Rhett Bryan coming up the final segment. We're going to talk to you about the office a little bit and what we're doing with the POP6. And we, Like I said, we've been overwhelmed with the, the numbers of you that have checked this out. Checked out the Friends podcast that we did as well uh, with Brad Willis. And we've got some really cool plans for things that are coming up. But uh, we hope you enjoy that. We're going to talk some office in the final segment. I'm going to talk more pop culture right now, as a matter of fact. I I got to to talk about this for like a minute on Monday's show, but not really give it the time because of the vanderbilt Stackhouse situation and trying to cover that as it was happening. But I want to explain to you here for the next like five, six minutes why Veep is still on the air and still rolling the way that it is. Seventh and final season premiered this past Sunday on HBO. The amount of hardware that this show has taken home, both this top comedy and for Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tony Hale and Anna Klumski and just nominations and wins is staggering. And seven seasons in is a very select few comedies that are able to truly succeed. And you can talk about, and I have, just how fast the jokes come on this show, how fast the insults come. It's like Micro Machines guy from back in the day. John Machida, I believe was his name. It's like watching Chip Kelly coaching Oregon, but a comedy series. Now, it's filthy, and that means I haven't even really started to watch this season. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to, honestly, because I'm not not the guy that I was a couple of years ago that could laugh at the same stuff. But there's a reason, and a couple of reasons, why it keeps winning these awards and why it's one of the best comedies ever, and certainly of this generation. The easy one is... It was not built around kids. It was built around adults that acted like kids. When kids get old, it dooms the show. Cosby Show kids got old, doomed the show. They have to bring them back from college or find a way to keep them on the show. The Goldbergs, Erica left. They had to bring her back and let her basically fail out or realize she didn't want to go to college so that they could keep Haley Arantia on the show. That kind of thing happens a lot. Like Fresh Prince is one of the few shows that got it right because Will and Carlton went to ULA and were able to continue to live at the Banks house. And so, really, that show was able to move without a real hitch, even though, honestly, Carlton probably should have gone to Princeton or somewhere like that much earlier. But this is really why it works, and this is what I wanted to talk about. This show figured out something that Hollywood doesn't seem to understand. That is that people don't want to be preached to about what they're doing wrong and you're doing right. If you stand up and you preach to people about how bad they are while not at the same time recognizing your own flaws, you're going to lose most people. They can relate to you if you're vulnerable with them, but not without that being true. And so, so many shows get preachy. Dramas and comedies alike get preachy and they try to be political. 30 Rock started out really funny, decided it wanted to take a political bent and have a message, and then it wasn't nearly as funny towards the end for a large quotient of that audience. And that has always been true, but Hollywood lives in such a world that they believe that their side is always right and that the other guy has to be evil. And this comes from that social media quandary that we continue to talk about from time to time on this show where the loudest voices on the right and the loudest voices on the left are the dumb ones and the ones with skin in the game with an agenda to push and their agenda is hate the other guy. Don't listen to the other guy. And that's one of the reasons I think social media is so dangerous because we don't live on the extremes. But in that world, you feel like that's where everyone is and it's not. It's like 15% of the public that's on Twitter. And thank goodness for that. If only it were lower. But the reason Veep gets it right, because Veep's a political show, right? So that would turn you off, except for its quiet brilliance, because it discovered, and I still don't understand why no one has figured this out, or more shows have not figured this out. It offends the right and it offends the left. And there's a simple idea behind this that I've thought about, and that is if you offend everyone, you essentially offend no one. Because Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals, yeah, you're one or the other, or you're somewhere in the middle, but if I'm a conservative and I say that all liberals are idiots... That's going to upset liberals. If I'm a liberal and I say all conservatives are idiots, then that's going to upset all conservatives. But if I'm a conservative and I say all liberals are idiots, and a whole lot of people on my side are too, and I'm willing to call that out, then the guys on the other side are actually going to pay attention to me. And that is the key to this entire thing. Veep discovered that the way to win was to say that all politicians stink. They're all horrible people. They're all self-absorbed, they're all agenda-driven, they're all liars, they're all cheaters, they're all bad people on all sides. And again, because they offend both and don't just say, ooh, this half of the country is evil and this half is laudable, they win. And that's why Veep, seven seasons in still has an audience on all sides, because yes, the Republicans are dopes on that show, but so are the Liberals. And there's nothing that you can get behind more than one guy standing there and saying, look at all of this over here. It is atrocious. But you know what? And then points behind him and says, so is my side. Because even in a divided country, I think we can get behind the idea that all politicians can be made fun of on all sides, even the ones that you might agree with politically. There's a reason as well that South Park started in 1997 when I first attended NC State out of high school, and it's still on. And it's because Trey Parker and Matt Stone realized exactly the same thing. When you offend everyone, you offend no one. This is not hard to figure out. I don't know why so few shows seem to understand that this concept can work. When we come back, another concept that worked, The Office. Rhett Bryan joins me. We'll discuss... The Pop 6 and what we're doing here on Zone Podcast coming up. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone.
0: Nashville is hosting the 2019 NFL Draft and 104.5 The Zone takes you there. Keep it here for exclusive coverage on your home for Titans Radio. The Sports Station. 104.5 The Zone.
1: Welcome back. Final segment tonight. Big 6, 104.5 is on. A reminder, I won't be on tomorrow, at least not at the same time, because Lipscomb keeps winning basketballs. Congratulations to the Bisons. They're not winning basketballs. They're winning basketball games, but whatever. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. I'm Jason Martin, joined by Rhett Bryant, who's the executive producer of Titans Radio, preparing for the draft, and... He's not on here to talk about the draft. We'll have him on here to talk about the draft in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about The Office for a couple of minutes. Pop Six, we're pretty blown away, actually, just like we were during the Friends podcast with how much you guys seem to be enjoying this. And So I wanted to bring on Rhett and just talk about it a little bit. We've done, what, two episodes now, Rhett? We've covered the first four seasons of The Office. Tomorrow, we are very excited because we're going to be talking a lot about Season 5, which for Office fanatics out there, very
2: just. I think it's the Apex. Yeah, I of believe the it
1: probably is. So we're gonna talk five and six and we're gonna bring on our first guest. We're gonna have Jeff Schwartz, who played on the offensive line for eight years in the NFL, my good friend, who we're not gonna talk about football because he's a huge office super fan. So we're gonna have him on with David Reed and and certainly with you. And it was interesting because when we when I first went to Brad and said, Hey, let's do a friends podcast, I thought it would be a one episode deal. Then all of a sudden, no, wait a second, we can do a month out of this. And then you start thinking about other shows where it makes sense, and you happen to be in the room when Brad and I were discussing the Friends deal, and you said, if you ever do one in The Office, let me know. And immediately I said, well, all right, we'll do The Office
2: next. And that's generally what happened. And let me say this. First of all, for all who have listened to this installment of the Pop 6, and the the Friends stuff was fantastic. Uh, And at Friends, for me, that's not a show I really got into as much as The Office. You know, everybody's got their own wheelhouse. Yeah. For me, it's The Office. And like I've said on the podcast, on The Pop Six, uh, it is our go-to at home when we don't feel like, you know, watching anything that we need to really concentrate on or we want a good laugh or, you know, something we want to frequent. It's just that good. And it's amazing to see... How many people share the our opinion mm-hmm. of this? I mean, Jeff Schwartz is a, a prime example. Here's a guy that played in the National Football League as an offensive lineman for 8 years, and he's not going to talk about football. He's no. going to talk about his passion that he shares with us, us in in loving the office from NBC. It's it's fantastic. I mean, when we hit 4 when we hit 4 numbers when it came to listeners
1: without very much pub. I mean, we put it out on Friday, and we I mean we tweeted it, but nothing really particularly special there's so much basketball going on over the weekend the the numbers really kind of blew me away i didn't know what to necessarily expect from it but they continue to grow and i guess that's because the podcast is becoming a little bit more well known but the idea of having jeff on and i talked to jeff a couple days ago and he, he tweeted me actually he's like so when am i coming on one of these and i said oh well you can come on this week and so we found out what seasons we were watching, and so he's been watching them. So he's like been taking notes on them, and also right. he's not just going to show up blind and talk about why he loves the Office. No, he was, he was just like Idris Elba, you know Charles Minor, Charles yeah, and all of that. But not every show you can do this with. I feel like the Office is right for something like this because the characters have so much going on, and there's so much growth and evolution. In the key contributors on the show. Sure. Jim and Pam have a reason to exist. Dwight grows and evolves. The Michael Scott character goes from Corell in season one, total authoritarian, over the top boss you hate, to sort of the bumpkin idiot, fool uh, in like, you know, the second season or whatever. And then obviously he meets Holly at the end of season four, and then she's there in season five, and you start to see, all right, this is the final form. This is the Dragon Ball Z form, (laughs) the Super Saiyan form. I don't even know how it's pronounced. I've never watched it before, but this is Michael Scott finally kind of completing his journey from going from unlikable guy to friend that everybody on the show is rooting for on camera as well as certainly the viewers off. So we're getting right now to, the I think, the most exciting part because – Now there's a history and
2: there's a future. Well, and and for Michael Scott, it comes from the most unlikely source because he hates HR because he hates Toby Flinders. And he has immediately that guilty by association opinion of Holly when she's introduced at the end of season four, only to fall in love with her. And so you're right. We're rooting for Michael Scott in this. And then you're so right about uh, Pam and Jim they are in season five and certainly in season six are having some milestone moments in their relationship uh that a lot of people uh in regular walk of life you know experience whether it's getting married having kids whatever and uh this i think is where the story has gone long enough we know a little more about creed bratton and meredith palmer and oscar martinez and some of those and so you kind of need that whole office, yes, they have the lead horse characters and Michael and Jim and Pam and Dwight, but the other characters have kind of helped make the uh the, the sum greater than the, the the individual parts
1: yeah, the tertiary characters are what makes a show last, even though I would argue maybe the office ran too long and we 'll get to that and in- uh, probably next week's episode or the week after because it looks like we may end up doing five of these joints to get through it plus if you didn't hear the end of the friends podcast the idea that a friend of mine and, and i hatched years ago when we first started doing these shows we did one for 24 and we did one for loss we did a talent draft just like the draft coming up here in nashville at the end of april except we're not going to be taking out cherry trees in nashville <laughs> in order to pull off this draft but we're going to do like a you know, t- probably a twelve to fifteen round draft, snake draft between the three of us, with with you and with David and with me, uh, picking teams full of office characters. And I'm here to tell you, a thing can get contentious. And just like there was in the friend situation, even though we didn't utilize it, trades are available, and it gets it gets to be a lot of fun. And it's it's a little bit different. And you know, we've got uh, what Brittany and Avery doing there. Kind of, sports, one, sports, yep, yep, kind of sports pop culture kind of deal, which I think is a really cool idea. And the talent draft thing just fits right on in mm-hmm. to, to that because it just gives you another take. And I remember we did the friends draft and people were hitting me up saying, how could you take Ross number one? <laughs> My girlfriend said she would have taken Phoebe number one. That's, it's it's all going to be pure fun. But, you know, I just, I mainly wanted to bring you on for a couple of minutes here to finish the show because, I mean, we do have Jeff coming on tomorrow, which is cool. But just, This is more what I've decided I want to do. Like I'm screening some stuff, but there's a whole lot of new stuff that I just... Content I don't really want to trade in. So being able to go back and deep dive into shows that people really care about. To me, there is a lot of people out there in their cars right now on the way home that remember and care about the office. And even if you're not going back and watching it with us, which I know a lot of you are based on the communications that I'm getting from you... You can remember this. You can kind of just go back, and we're jogging your memory as we're jogging our own, and it doesn't stink that we're getting to go back through this series in order to do this. We're having to rewatch these episodes. That's not exactly hard work. Sometimes
2: we feel like we're stealing money around here. Oh, absolutely, because you and I and David are obviously passionate about this, and it's very easy to talk about when it's something that you really love like i said being in your wheelhouse and this is this is a happy place for me um and i got a good life i'm in you know yeah, we have and we all do we do fantastic yes. you know we have fantastic jobs that people would absolutely die for and uh so it's not bad to begin with and to be able to talk about the things that i love so much you know as as we enjoy the office series yeah it's very rarely feels like work around here and this certainly does it. and tomorrow
1: as we close up uh one of the things that we'll be talking about in season six is scott's tots oh god and i say that any office fans oh. about to pull over to the side of the road oh. just to have it it means i have to watch it tonight
2: i have to go so back and watch it i haven't been able to watch it since it aired i watched because it, it was one time so hard to watch i watched it one time and it's wow it's tough
1: as worth the price of admission alone so that that podcast, will record it tomorrow it'll be out on Friday the Pop 6, you can subscribe to it through Apple or Google or wherever you get it or you can go to 1045 com and uh, you can get it uh, standalone that way but we appreciate the support and uh, we're having a blast doing it and we're going to keep up, we're going to continue to do this kind of stuff uh, weekly as part of the Pop 6 and to say that we're blessed to be able to sit around and talk about the office as part of our job
2: pretty amazing, Rhett you better believe it, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one and uh, and thanks for having me as a part of it. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for suggesting
1: the office as a second one. It was it was an inspired choice by you. All right, so Lipscomb's <laughs> on tomorrow, but we'll be at the midday Masters out at Top Golf tomorrow night for Team Hutton
2: 1045. Wow. What an event that is going to be! This may be an epic night in 104.5 The Zone history with what's going to air tomorrow night from about 8.30 to about 10 o'clock.
1: It's going to be something, all right. Hopefully not as awkward as Scott's tots. <laughs> we'll see you. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. God bless. And good night. 104.5.